back, or if you're a first-time listener, welcome aboard. I'm your host, Aiden, and we're here for another exciting episode of The Push-Pull Factor, the podcast where we hear real migration stories from real people. We're on episode 10. I didn't think we could get here, because honestly, I'm a Sagittarius, I could be a little inconsistent, but you know, we're almost closing out the year and we're still going strong. I can't believe I had a Spotify wrapped for the podcast, which was, you know, very cool to get on my end. It also made me more inspired to read some of my goals for 2021 and really dive deep into all that I had planned for the podcast in in this next year. But I also do want input from you all, my push-pull factor fam. What kind of stories do you want to hear? What countries do you want to learn about? What kind of migrants do you want to uncover? Do you even know what you don't know about migration? I know, there's a lot, but I'm excited to explore it all with you. And that serves for a good transition to migration education the part of the show where I provide a quick burst of information related to the field and to one of the countries that we're discussing today. So, that country in question is Switzerland. Outside of the fancy cheese and chocolates and Swiss knives and watches, there's a lot going on in this country. So it has experienced net positive migration over the past 26 years, meaning that more foreign nationals have entered Switzerland than have left the country in this time frame. It has been extremely high since 2007, so it has always been kind of this beacon of immigration in Switzerland. But that hasn't always been the case for the country. In times of economic uncertainty, like in the mid-1990s, immigration in Switzerland did slow significantly. This study found that in the 157 Swiss municipalities with more than 10,000 inhabitants, international migration accounted for two-thirds of all entry or exit flows in population including births and deaths. And this was in 2017, so it's continuing to be a big trend, especially in these smaller regions. That without international migration, the population in these major municipalities would have declined. And the population grew by about 6.3% between 2011 and 2017. And 8 out of 10 of the new residents in 2017 were international migrants. So it's, it's very clear that migrants have done a lot for one of the strongest economies in the world. So in terms of where these migrants in Switzerland tend to live, they go all over the region, but of course, major cities like Geneva and Basel-Stadt were definitely most preferred. There was also, you know, a correlation between a migrant's nationality and their decision to settle in a particular region. We actually get into this in the interview, but there's a a French-speaking Switzerland, a German-speaking Switzerland, like, you get the picture, it's very regional, and the language majority changes depending on where you are. So for obvious reasons, that draws more foreign nationals who may speak that language. Likewise, from countries like Portugal, Spain, and Italy, you know, those migrants tend to be spread out more evenly throughout the country. All in all, the data was very interesting. I think it provided an in-depth look at migration that a lot of countries don't put out. So you could really, you know, dive into the data and figure things out for yourself and really, you know, learn a little bit more. Also, I think it makes sense that a country like Switzerland would have a developed program for immigration, really foster people to integrate themselves into society. But, you know, we all know migration can't be understood by a single story, and there are, you know, of course, many, many nuances. But, you know, Switzerland has all these international bodies that are based there and, you know, centered in Switzerland. So, so you know, it's, it's like right in their wheelhouse. Like, I think the IMF, all of those things, like the UN body is all based in like Geneva or something. That's why I'm very excited for this episode because we also dive into a bit of a yo-yo experience. Nick moved to Switzerland as a teen from the United Kingdom, then he moved back and back again to Switzerland and I'm excited to get into it. So, without further ado... Here with me today, I have Nick Owen. He works as a PR manager in the sports industry, was born in the United Kingdom, currently lives in Switzerland, and overall just has a pretty dope past I'm excited to dive into and learn more about. So welcome aboard, Nick. How are you doing? I'm, do- I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, Aiden. Really, uh, really happy to um, be able to chat with Glad you. Glad to have you on. I actually found Nick through Reddit. I did like an open casting call kind of post, and here Nick Wynn is in the studio. Well, the virtual studio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Reddit's a wonderful thing. So let's start with where in the UK you were born and then where in Switzerland you currently live. Okay, so I was born in the UK uh, in a place called Kent, which is sort of just outside of London. So I was living about, I'd say about a 40 minute to an hour drive from London. Um, and it, was, it wasn't it was a big place. It wasn't a sporting city. It was very much sort of a 
a village which is in the sort of commuter belt of London. Um, so yeah, it wasn't wasn't too big. Um, and then uh, right now I'm living in a place called Zug, uh, in you know, as you say in Switzerland, which is if anyone knows Switzerland, it's about 30 minutes drive from Zurich, which is probably the biggest city in Switzerland. Um, so it's in the German speaking part. There's three different, uh, or four different languages in Switzerland, which is French, German, Italian, and a very small one called Romanish. Um, and yeah, we're in the German speaking part. So yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a small city. It's not even that, it's probably more of a town. Um, you know, not, it's very sleepy, very quiet, very nice for what we have, which is a family life. Um, but I think if I was a little bit younger and didn't have any kids or anything, I'd probably find it a little bit dull, but it's, um, no, it's, it's very pleasant here. Um, so yeah, we've been living in Zug for, uh, four, four years now. Uh, so yeah, but obviously there's been other areas of Switzerland I've, I've lived in and, um, yeah, sort of been in between the UK and Switzerland for what, nearly 17 years now, I think. So 18 years. Yeah. So it's, um, it's been a while. <laughs> So how has that back and forth been? Like, have you lived, like, in the UK for, like, what was the timeline like? Well, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, I lived in the UK up until the age of 15. Um, and then my uh, my parents, my father got offered a, a job um, in another Swiss city in the French-speaking part, closer to Geneva, called Lausanne. And essentially, they, uh, both my parents obviously were very open with myself and my sister and sort of gave us the choice and said that we can do this and, and move uh, uh, across to a new country or we can stay here if you want. Um, and it was, I was pretty keen to, to sort of, to do it. So I moved I moved across to Lausanne when I was 15, um, stayed there for a couple of years until I was 18. Um, and then I moved back to the UK, uh, back to a place uh, called Stoke-on-Trent, um, which if anyone knows the UK, um, Stoke-on-Trent is, is, is not the, <laughs> it's rather industrial, uh, it's got the yeah, old sort of terraced houses and stuff, but I, I went back there to study um, journalism, um, lived there for three years and then moved down to London after uni for, uh, I think, for a couple of years and then got a call from uh, someone who I was actually uh, I actually played rugby with um, and said hey look we've got this job back in Lausanne would you like to go and work uh, in Lausanne and I said yeah totally I you know I always loved living in, in Switzerland and living in, in Lausanne in particular so I, I moved there um, and was there for it was at the International Volleyball Federation so I worked there from 2009 until just after the London 2012 Olympic Games um, and then my wife's job she was a she was a nanny um but her she she got offered a job in zurich uh, so we moved to zurich which was obviously in the german speaking part um and i did some freelance work and, and and this and that nothing too nothing too crazy it was it was quite nice to just sort of do some of my own writing um and then i moved back to lausanne again in 2014 2015 um and then left lausanne Again, after another Olympics, after Rio 2016, I left Lausanne and moved up to Zug uh, then, and that's that's where we've been since then. So, I mean, it's been, yeah, it's, I spent a lot of time in between the UK and Switzerland, sort of, you know, and, and in very formative years in my life, you know, sort of that age of 15 to 18, I think was really interesting. Um, you, you do so much developing at that point anyway. Um, and... I think when I was when I was in the UK, uh, it was I was midway through something called your GCSEs, which were sort of English exams, like uh, similar to SATs, I guess, in the states. Um, but I was still pretty keen to move, and I sort of because I felt quite I could probably say this I felt quite disattached from everything in the UK at the time. I, you know, schooling I wasn't really. I wasn't really too interested in, um, you know, I, as I said, it was a small village, so my, my viewpoint was, was rather narrow. Um, I, I think the only thing I really enjoyed doing was, was playing a lot of rugby, which I played most days a week. Um, but then, yeah, sort of just between the ages of 14, uh, 15 and 18, you know, living in a very international community, we went to an international school. So, uh, you know, I was, I'd gone from, you know, speaking to uh, it was an all-boys school i was at in the uk so it was speaking to guys my age to speaking to 
going to a mixed school with Germans, French, Americans, Canadians, Brazilians, Mexicans, Russians, Australians, all these different kinds of nationalities from all over, which just obviously was a complete eye-opener for me at the time. Um, and then, yeah, it's, I think that was kind of initially the draw. Um, sort of completely blew my mind culturally. Um, so, yeah, that's, that was sort of the background then. And then, yeah, I mean... <laughs> There was, a, there was always the draw, always wanting to really come back to Switzerland because it's. Uh, I enjoyed living in the UK big time. I enjoyed going back as well to a different place and by myself independently, no parents, no no one. But I think, I, I, as I said before, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts before, Aidan, and I think one of the themes is that a lot of people, are, when they go back to their own countries, they often feel like strangers in their own land. Uh, and that was definitely the case when I was going back to the UK. I mean, it was only three years, but it was... It, it, it was coming back into that environment where you've got, you know, living in a place or in in uh, dorms where you've got 11 other people from the UK who had grown up in the same towns I had come from, the same sort of style where it's quite a narrow viewpoint and your your viewpoint is so much wider now. It's uh, It felt a little bit strange and so culturally that was a little bit weird to reconnect. So, so yeah, I think that's why I've always sort of bounced back to living in Switzerland and also trying to sort of connect with more of an international community here. That was a very long-winded answer. I apologize. <laughs> you really, you hit on every point. You answered a few questions I, I was going to ask you anyway. So, but I think it's, okay. a, no, I think it's a really good point you bring up about like the transformative years, like 15 to 18. I think a lot of people I've interviewed who have, you know, did migration journeys when they were younger, studied abroad in college in the States or something. Like it's just such an important time frame for them, and you like they became an adult in one culture, one society, and it's like you have to go back somewhere else. Like you really become who you are. I feel like in those years. Yeah. No. Exactly. It's it's astonishing. Like it was, it was a. Yeah, I I really felt like I redefined myself during those that that three year period. Like it's, it's. Just, I think you're a lot of people have this way. If you go to a new school or a new job or a new place to live then you sort of see it as a new opportunity to reinvent yourself and that was kind of the case I think I, I saw myself at 15 and even then I thought yeah okay this is something completely new um this is a chance to sort of change the way I I am or view view or, or you know with it, without any of that fear of sort of someone going oh why are you deciding to be someone completely different it was it was really quite um liberating in that sense but yeah it's, uh, but at the same time you know it was a it's a big culture shock it's you know especially the other thing is especially lausanne's not lausanne's not a, a big city it's not but it was bigger than, than anything i'd been you know i'd lived in the past you know the village i was in i was in had like one or two buses a day whereas this one had like well you know six buses an hour going up to town i could be in you know downtown in 10 minutes which just completely opened everything up as well it's, it's like these little things like that which just completely blew my mind and of course, there's like the you know, as you expect with Switzerland, there's the scenery it's, and 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 the, the the lifestyle here is a little bit different from you know outskirts of London sort of area. <laughs> you know, like I think any picture of Switzerland just looks gorgeous, like a postcard shot. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it's you know, I can when I, if I look out my window on my balcony, you, know, you do see. You do see mountains, and it's been snowing recently, so there's snow up there. And I've I've got three kids now, and I'm sort of they've sort of grown up here, um, and I'm constantly bashing into them, saying, "Oh, you guys are so lucky to live here. You've got no idea. It's it's you know you're so privileged. It's just brilliant to have all this on your doorstep." And they're like, "Yeah, Dad, yeah, 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 yeah." And they <laughs> it can be a little bit flippant about it, but you know that's the that's that's the kids, I guess. And I'm sort of going off of your point about like French speaking Switzerland, German speaking Switzerland, like how important is language? Does it like, how do government forms work? Does it depend on where you are? Do people, do people typically know like one or two? Um, yeah, it's, it's curious. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, for, as I said, four languages. Yeah. Um, so about 60% speak German, um, but it's not what they call Hochdeutsch or like normal German that you'd speak in Berlin or Munich or you know, Germany, but it's like a dialect. So that's that's one aspect which is a bit different because it's not like a 
it's not an accent or anything like that. It's like a completely different language. So you'd be learning, or like I'm trying to learn proper German, then you'd go to the shops and they'd be speaking something completely different. It's so that that's a bit weird. So that yeah, so sixty percent speak German, twenty 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 three percent speak French, um, and that's fine. Eight um, percent speak Italian, and then yeah, there's this one percent one percent that speak this uh, sort of localized language called Romanish. Um, to answer your question about how you know how many people speak different languages, I mean people typically know one of the German, Italian, or French, and then usually you tend to find with 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 you know sort of younger people usually they speak English as well. Um, so that that that's you know having a uh, at least bilingual is, is is something that's very common. Uh, you know it's it's and that's very important here. Um, you can get by, in, by 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 speaking English. Um, I tend not to. I think it's a bit rude. I think it's you know I'm a okay. Yeah, I've been here on and off for the last eighteen years, but I'm still a guest in someone's country. I think it's it's polite to at least learn the language and try and understand what's going on and converse in that language. Um, they usually reply in English when they hear how terrible my German is. Uh, but you know the efforts there. Um, in terms of the forms, yep, you have three different versions of forms, but obviously if we're here in Zug, which is German speaking, you'll just have the, the, the German version if you go and pick it up in a in a government office. Um but no online it's it's or websites that are, are Swiss based. It's usually, you know, you can get it in French or German or Italian. Um I mean yeah, so it's it's the language things are they make it work. It's it's really they just make it work perfectly. Like it if you're getting on a train and you're going from where I live to you know to the French speaking part, they'll do all the different announcements in German and then in French, and and usually if it's going to the airport, they'll do it in German and in French and also in English because they know that tourists are here and they need to understand it. So yeah, it's the language is tough, but they make it work really well. Uh, you know, it's 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 perfect. It's it, you wouldn't even notice it. It's it's so ridiculously stereotypically efficient for for, for switzerland <laughs> yeah i always like when i first discovered that switzerland had four national languages like official languages i was like how do they do like how do they make that work but it makes that makes a lot of sense no it's 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 really strange i mean okay yes officially there's four and i think this this one this this romanish one is is the is the fourth um but yeah i think less than less than one percent speak that and if, to be honest, you're more likely to be able to speak to someone in English than, than Romanish. If, if, if I was to pick up a few words of Romanish and then go and talk to, I don't know, my friends of mine that are Swiss or, my, you know, my kid's teacher or something like that, they'd, you know, they'd look, I may as well be speaking Mandarin. It's, they wouldn't understand it at all what I was saying. So, yeah, it's, the, the, I think the, there are four official, but the three ones that are used in 99 out of 100 occasions are, are, are French, German and Italian. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it's it's very it's it's an interesting way. And the the funny thing is, is you've got different you've got different towns obviously that that speak it. But when you get closer to the centre of Switzerland, there's this you know like so for example, Bern, the capital city. Um, there's no distinction. It could be French or German. So you can you could go into a shop and speak French or German, and yet there's there's this instantly they know exactly what you're speaking and how to speak and how to reply. It's yeah, as I say, it's incredibly efficient. It's uh, it, it, it's crazy. It's um, yeah, it's as I say, it's very Swiss. I mean, it makes sense. I've always had like this, like I always imagined Switzerland as this very international, just very important place. So it makes sense that they have like all yeah. these languages and all these countries. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that's the thing. I mean, twenty percent of the population here are, are from abroad. You know, so you've got, and that's not just. I think there's there's a distinction that a lot of people think that's just expats working for I don't know, Nestle or you know the International Monetary Fund or United Nations or something, but it's not. There's it's at every sort of level of society. You've got you've got different nationalities who are who are here. You know, as, as I say, it's twenty percent throughout history. You look at where they where Switzerland sits. It's right in the centre of Europe. It's been invaded by you know. Well, you know, the, the, the areas that predate Austria and, and, Germ and, and Germany and France and Italy. So it's 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 a real 
melting pot of cultures. So they've had to adapt to that constantly, you know. And and I think when you've had to adapt, you know, like to that sort of combination of, of of different cultures engaging in one specific area, and you've had to do that over several centuries, you you, you tend to be well practiced in that. If you were to go up into the mountains and in some of the smaller villages, okay, it would be a lot more sort of single-minded thinking, but in the in the towns and 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 the villages sort of connected to the towns and and close to where we are now it's just incredibly multicultural it, it works perfectly there's there's no it doesn't seem to, okay as as with many places there's a there are populist um sort of politicians and 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 people working in that respect but the remainder of the time to be honest it's it's they found a way to live in harmony with different cultures, you know, coming within their uh, their country, and they welcome it. Um, I think it's 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 something that a lot of other countries could actually learn from. It's 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 incredible. Yeah, I think it's definitely something maybe the United States could learn from. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, so could the UK. It's, we're we're not exactly doing ourselves wonders when it comes to. Um, being part of any kind of broader community, you know, hashtag Brexit and all that jazz. <laughs> yeah, it's like another thing on Switzerland is sort of like the first thing I hear when anyone mentions it, I guess, in terms of travel or just living, just like how expensive it is. Like, is that true? Does that stereotype? No, it's true. It's expensive. Yeah, it's, it's expensive. It is it, absolutely. Uh, they have the, what's it called? They have the, I think they call it like something like the Big Mac scale, where they sort of take the price of how much a Big Mac costs in the McDonald's. And yeah, Switzerland regularly features within at least the top three. Yeah, it's it's an expensive place to live, um, you know. But but the salaries reflect that a lot of the time, um, and it also depends on where you live. You know, it's, if you're living further out with, it's the same as anywhere. If you're living further out with not much access to public transport, it's a it's a little bit cheaper, of course. Whereas if you're in the centre of town and and you've got a an apartment, it's a little bit more expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still times when I go to the shops and my eyes water at how much basic things like you know, uh, <laughs> me. We went shopping today and got um, got some chicken breasts for for we're doing. We've got some friends around tomorrow. Um, uh, and we're doing a dinner and we looked at how much the chicken breasts were. We're like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe this. And, you know, still 18 years after, you know, moving from the UK, I still think, Jesus, this is a bit too much. But you learn to adapt and you learn to, you learn to get to it. And, and then you sort of see, okay, that, yeah, okay, it's a lot. But then what you're bringing home reflects that. That's that. And that's not so much of an issue. Um, and a lot of the time it, 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 you learn to adapt a little bit and, and you learn to sort of, find alternatives or find new ways of doing things and 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 yeah but it's uh yeah it's i think when we have relatives come out they always sort of go wow it costs that much but then on the flip side other things don't cost quite so much you know it's if i wanted to get a if i wanted to get a ticket a train ticket for example if i wanted to get a train ticket from here to lausanne it would cost me what, 36 francs about 35 dollars um so that's thirty-four pounds in the UK. Whereas if I wanted to do the same sort of trip in the UK, it would cost me double, easy. So it's there's 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 areas where it's much more expensive, but there's other areas where you think, well, okay, you're getting incredible value for money here because of the way the, the it's run by either the, the the government or the authorities. You know, it's so yeah, the the the, the price of things is yeah can be eye-watering. Swing, swings and roundabouts as we say in the UK you know the price of chocolate and cheese is nice and low so that's okay <laughs> no, it looks like Switzerland has you know they have their everything figured out yeah I mean as I say it's it's not a difficult place to live happily you know it's 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 genuinely not it, I, I, it's, it's silly things like you know as I say I I worked in London for a while and I you know I lived on the outskirts and you know used to get I was used to getting trains and if there was a delay there'd be a delay you know it'd be five ten minutes and it would be expected whereas I've stood on platforms here and the train's been delayed by two minutes and you've got people next to you tutting going oh god this is ridiculous this is so long why why is it so delayed and you're like wow mate you've got no idea if it is luxury I'd, I'd rather take the two minute delay I don't mind um but no they, they've they've got it all worked out they're just they have a way of 
they enjoy the process. They have a way of finding a process and, and getting it working, and then then it works, and everyone sticks to it, and that's fine. Hmm, that makes sense. So I guess when you first made this move, did you expect such a change in culture, like in your series of moves between the UK and? I think whenever anyone moves abroad, I think they always expect there's some sort of culture change. But I didn't expect it to be as impactful or as major as it was, um, at least the first time. Um, as I said, it was it was out of a very sort of English community, which is very narrow-minded because of where it was in, in, in geographically into a very international culture where as I said you've got you're, you're talking to people, kids from countries all over the world so yeah that was a complete shock and, and sort of trying to trying to learn to communicate and understand exactly how they communicate was a was a was a steep learning curve um, but it'll be a, a really really a very positive one um, so no that that was that was yeah it was yeah the learning curve was steeper than I expected for sure um I think and again when I moving moving back to the UK it, it, again it was a steep learning curve because it was just I, I hadn't I'd been out the country for three years and three years doesn't sound like an awful lot of time but when you're that old you're sort of 18 it is it was it, it, and not only that, you combine that with the idea of going to university where you're meeting new people again, um, and they're all bringing together all their different parts of their life they like, you know, specific music or sport or, you know, things they like to do or anything like that. Then that was a huge culture shock as well. For example, at 18, when I was going out in Switzerland to bars or nightclubs, because that's, <laughs> that's what you do when you're 18 here, uh, maybe a little bit too much. Um, it was a completely different culture because it was, it was a lot more international in, in terms of the music that was being played and the, the, the way you'd be going about doing things and staying out until four, five, six in the morning was not such a strange thing because it's not about going out and getting as going as crazy as you would do in the UK. So then I'd go back to the UK and go to uni and everyone would be going crazy and going full on and it would be like, well, okay, this is a... I wasn't so familiar with that and I found that a little bit odd um, so that again was the culture shock um, but I think after after that I think moving back for the second time obviously moving back into a familiar surrounding it, it, it was it, it felt more comfortable it felt very easy um, I felt like it was I was moving back to what my true identity was in some ways so you know it's funny, first 15 years in the UK created part of my identity, but sort of three years in Twitch and sort of moulded it and, and sort of def truly defined it. So, I mean, it wasn't a case of being sold back by the UK at all, but living abroad and interacting with all those different nationalities from around the world sort of properly widened my perspective, and I think I needed that. I think going back and living in the UK now would be more like it was when I went back before where I'd be I'd feel like a little bit more like a stranger in my own land. Stemming off of that like your second migration journey you were a little bit older but did you have your kids when you made that first step or did they come through after you were already in Switzerland? No no they they, they came afterwards they, they all three have been born here um my eldest was born in in Zurich uh my middle child was born in well just outside of Lausanne in the, in the French-speaking part and my, my my youngest was born actually here in, in Zug. Um so no, they when we moved for the second time, it was just with my uh, then girlfriend, now wife. Um and it was to be honest, it was a pretty easy decision to make. It was we'd got to a point London we were living in London. I I love London. It's it's one of my favourite places in the world. It's a, a brilliant city, it's there's so much going on. But at the same time, there's so much going on, and it's so tiring. <laughs> it's like, and and I I got to a point where I was like, okay, I I don't know if I can. I missed the lifestyle in Switzerland, like the the outdoors and the sense of international community, and you know that area thing too much to 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 have to turn down the opportunity that I was given. So no, it was just my wife and I. We moved back across. 
and we moved it was it was nice though because it was different so instead of moving with my parents it was it was moving into my own place uh albeit I, <laughs> albeit I, funny enough just a 10 minute walk from from where my parents were at the time uh <laughs> that, that wasn't that wasn't on purpose it just it just it, the rent to be honest the rent was super cheap so it was like you know well why, well you know why not so moved into there and then yeah sort of almost built like a a, a second life uh, within Switzerland and you know a lot of that involved some of the people I'd met the first time around and and had been to school with and had, had hung around and, and done uni here and, and a lot of that involved some new people who were in a similar situation to us moving from the UK to Switzerland so it was I think what was I 20 Jesus 22 23 the second time around um so you know sort of like a the sort of time in your life where you're you, you know you're, you 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 are living for the weekend and you and you you know you're going out and you're doing skiing at the weekend or you're hiking or you're going to go see some friends or anything like that it was um so so yeah we, our circle of friends certainly changed but it, it certainly remained incredibly international and it's funny i mean uh, i mentioned my wife she's she's originally from the north of the uk but you know she likewise she i think I came back for a summer from from university to to do some summer work here and for, for, for just six weeks. And I, I met her at a festival out here, and you know she was she was an au pair. Um, and and so yeah, we we both sort of moved out here separately. But any chance we had to bounce back here, we we sort of took it and and, and grabbed hold of it because I think we both sort of felt. I can't speak for her, but I I can certainly speak for myself, and I just. I felt a lot more comfortable and, and happier with who I was when I was living here than when I was in the UK, really, to be honest. I can definitely see how that can, like, the positive external environment can really help you out. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I think sometimes I look back on things with, you know, rose-tinted glasses a little bit too much, and I sort of think, yeah, okay, it's, I was, it, was, oh, it was so awesome back then and when we were doing this, and, and that's obviously, you know, that's, that's a dangerous thing to do, but even so... I, I enjoy going to the UK. I, you know, I, I, I love going back, visiting family. You know, but it it would be right now, especially. I just, I wouldn't be able to see us living there right now. I feel like I, well, I've lived almost half my life in this country now, and it's that that it feels a little bit more like home in a in a strange sort of way. I never I never thought I'd say that. That's the strangest thing. Okay, when you spend the like considerably more time with your life, especially with more recent times of your life here in Switzerland. Mm. Definitely skews it towards Switzerland. No, totally. Sort of going off of that, how is it kind of raising kids in a country that like you weren't raised in? Like it's a whole different education system. They're probably being exposed to like, you know, four languages at minimum on a daily basis. Like how is that? Yeah, it's it's a strange one to be honest. That that's the, the newest learning curves, and we're still learning. I think uh, with everything in life, you're still learning. But yeah, that's a strange one because we, as you say, the, I think the education system is the big one for me. It's I know the system inside out in the UK. You know, it's exactly where what happens when everyone goes to where and what the years are and what they're doing and blah blah blah. Whereas here, it's completely different, and we're still we're sort of le almost learning on the fly a little bit. Um, so yeah, that that's quite interesting I, mean, I it's, a, it's the thing it's quite unique i've seen from both sides so i've seen from being a child moving abroad and also being a parent okay so the age gap is, is slightly different you know um from a parental point of view i mean the life that, that they build like my three kids is the only real thing that matters to me now i mean everything i'm we do is is to try and accommodate that you know they're they're still quite young so they're seven four and two um so saying that half the time even they don't know what they want you know but if they ever got feelings of ever wanting to sort of move back to the uk or, or they always said look why why can't we do that i'd like to move back there then we'd, we'd openly discuss it um i don't see that conversation coming up for a while yet um we check in with them all the time make sure they're happy with friends and school and clubs and everything like that but it's, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, the conversation came up with some friends of mine the other day when we were having a socially socially distanced and responsible drink, um, and they've discussed with me the idea of, of 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 you know sort of 
whether I'd, I'd get my kids into the, the British system or the American system at an international school. Um, so that's always, that's an option, yeah. But at the same time, the school that our kids go to, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the, apparently, I'm told, is one of the best in the country. And the only reason I'd send them maybe to a, an international school is to get that, sort of the the benefits of diversity that that I feel I got in that sort of three years and they're getting that from this this school anyway you know they they go to school and okay it's Swiss and it's all in German and they're learning a second language which is hugely beneficial um but they're going to school with you know other Swiss with English with Russian Colombian Thai Greek kids who are all in the same class as them so they're getting that international field as well and know that when they get older that they start to sort of sort of uh, divide the kids into specific sort of levels of where they feel their intelligence is and, and then sort of what path they can go down. I need. To, I think we haven't done enough to read into that just yet, but we need to. However, of all the Swiss that I've met and discussed this with, I've never, ever really met anyone that said, oh, yeah, the, the system here is awful. Uh, it's, it's terrible. You should try and get your kids in the, into a British system or an American system. I think it's, and I think that says, that says an awful lot. Um, so I think that, that's, quite, that's quite an interesting one. In terms of the language, as I say, they're, they're both, my two oldest, are, well, my, my oldest is fluent. He's completely fluent in, in Swiss German and was after three months of kindergarten oh, wow. it's, yeah it's incredible like if, if i wish i had their ability to pick up languages because they're like sponges they genuine like, everyone always says this but they genuinely are it's incredible like to the extent that i'll now ask my son how do you say this in german and he'll explain it to me and it's you know i'd have to try and keep that to a minimum i don't want to give him too much of a big head uh, <laughs> um but um, but yeah, so he's there, and, and my second is uh, he, he's learning very very quickly, and he's getting much much better. Um, but yeah, so that that the language thing that they're learning and they're picking up immediately, and having a second language so it, beneficial. Oh god, it's just the, it, it's it is it really it's almost an expectation I feel now, and it's it's the it's the other reason I, I I'd, I'd hesitate to move back to the UK is because. Yeah, okay. They, it's almost they don't pay a lip service. It's it's not that low, but they kids take it in class. But they take it in class, and then they for an hour or so, or two hours a week, and they stop and they'll do some homework. Okay, fine, and then that's it. Whereas if you're living abroad, I mean, I mean, Aiden, you've you've travelled a bit and you've you've moved around a bit. I know uh, with with your studies and stuff. You, I mean, what do you think? I mean, you pick up the language so much quicker when you're immersed in it yeah, correct so like so my longest experience was three months in south america and definitely just like hearing it all the time living with the host family i was like my host parents didn't speak english like i had like i wanted to communicate with them i wanted to tell them something like i had to be in spanish like i had to kind of pick it up and learn on the fly <laughs> yeah see it's funny i don't as a side story i had a, a friend of mine who um did a did a likewise did a German placement with a with a host family in Germany, and when he turned up, they were like, "Yeah, no, we don't speak any English at all." And so, the whole three months they were trying to learn German and everything like that. And on the last day, uh, that the father of the country, uh, the father of the country, father of the family, uh, turned to to my friend and said, in the cleanest, purest English you can ever imagine. So, after three months, I think your uh, German has got very good. So, for the whole three months, this poor guy had been strung along thinking that his family don't speak English at all. Um, and then on the last day, the fight turns <laughs> around. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I'd have laughed or cried. Um, I mean, I'm sure he appreciated it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I mean, the, immersing yourself in the language is the quickest way to learn. It's, it, it's, uh, and I think if there's anything that we take from this, and if we do end up moving back, that I, I'll we'll be pretty insistent on them keeping up their, the, the language they've learned because it gets you so far in life. It really does. And I, you know, I, I wish I could speak both French and German better than I can. I, we can get by. We can sort of, you know, do the basics and such. But I, I really wish we could. We, I could speak it better. And so, yeah, they're, they're, they're super lucky to be able to do that.
Um, but no, it's it, but with it, it's the same story with kids anyway, isn't it? It's as long as they're happy, I'm happy. You know, that's fine. You know, and that's that's all that really matters. And if if uh, if there's anything we we have to change to to, to accommodate that, we'll always change it. Of course, but no. No, I've always been jealous of how kids could pick up languages so easily and just, you know, kind of just like grow up. Like, yeah, I know three languages. It's fine. It's killer. It's like it's it's ridiculous. Like, there's kids at there's kids at my um uh, my kids school, and there's also kids at the I, I coach. Uh, I, I'm a rugby coach. I coach kids as well, and so there's there's guys there and, and girls there that speak three, sometimes even four languages as well, and they're like six seven eight it's like man i, I just that's insanely jealous it's ridiculous you know i i have enough trouble trying to remember where i put you know my keys one time you know and they can pick up they could they're tri-lingual quad-lingual i don't know it's that's mental <laughs> so that's an, another thing i wanted to sort of touch on rugby it's very i'm assuming very popular in the uk not much traction here in the states but is it like a popular sport in switzerland Do a lot of people play it did you have to kind of like hype it up a bit uh, that's a good question. No, no it's yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it, it's not popular at all. At all, uh, it's you know it's, you can imagine the the most popular sports in Switzerland. You know, football, ice hockey, alpine skiing, um, and and some of the more local sports like um, they have a, a thing every couple of years called Schwingenfest, which is like a alpine wrestling festival, which is a study you should. YouTube it if you, if you get a chance. It's astonishing to watch. It's um it's really cool, very athletic. But these guys are huge. Um, but no, rugby is not so big here. No. Um, the, I I mean I grew up playing rugby. I started at the age of six, and I think I stopped when I was twenty. Oh my god, twenty four. Um, and I and yeah, I still coach, and I still maybe play one game a year. Um, because that's all my body would allow me to do now. It's, it's no, that's <laughs> that's a violent sport. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah and i'm not i'm yeah i have more than one to check my instagram i'm not a big guy i'm a quick i'm a quick guy um but i'm but i'm not a big guy um no it's not it's not very big here it's but it, again it was another way of building a community like so the the guy who rang me and said do you want to move back to lausanne and and and, and come and uh, for this job um was a guy i played rugby with when i was i was playing like I was playing adult rugby when I was sixteen, seventeen, um, but I, I, you know, I played with him, um, and the, it, the club there in in Lausanne, Stad Lausanne, was, you know, it was the president there is a is a, is a South African fella who's, I, you know, I still keep in contact with every now and then, and there again there was there was a lot there was Swiss involved of course, but there was a lot of English, a lot of Australians, New Zealanders, these guys, and it's it's the same with this club that I'm that I I coach yeah kids at now. It's you know it's. It's very, very expat focused, as you'd expect. You know, it's, it's British, Australian, New Zealand, yeah, which is fine. But at the same time, it's it's becoming a big. It is becoming a little bit bigger thing here. You know, the I coach under sixes, so I've got sort of you know four and five year olds, and and as you can imagine, it's it's like trying to herd cats on a Sunday morning. But you know, a lot of them are, are now Swiss, and we're we're needing to speak German to them more, which is which is great. Um, no, it's uh, that's one way of building a community for sure, um, and 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 reaching out to new people. And yeah, I'm, I'm I don't think we're in any danger of um, dislodging ice hockey uh, as the as the country's uh, sport of choice, um, especially when it comes to big tough fellas. Um, <laughs> but but you know it's um, it's. Uh, Maybe it's a li- my my own little taste of home uh, that I, I I quite like having. I work, as you said at the top. I, I work in sport, and I have done for uh, uh, nearly ten or ten years now. Um, and that's uh, no, it's always very cheesy. But Nelson Mandela had this quote: "You know, sort of sport has the power to change the world," and that's always been a driving force for me. It's 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 something that's very close to my heart. I I practice some kind of sport whether it's running or going to the gym or anything like that I, I try and practice at least sort of four or five times a week and I'm constantly encouraging my kids to pick up a ball and run around or kick it or throw it or 
it, go cycling or do anything like that because it's it's I think it's from physical health. Okay, yeah, it's great. Mental health, it's vital. So yeah, um, but no, rug, rugby is yeah, no no chances of any sort of professional league setting up here just yet, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but it's so cool how sports can be such a connector and really build people together especially because you don't really need to speak the same language to like play a sport with somebody like you can you know be a migrant fresh in a country and just go to a pickup soccer game if you just like know where to go exactly this is the thing it's it's such a it it, it goes beyond language and, and, and anything like that i think it's 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 brilliant, and yeah, being able to go to a pickup game or anything like that. I mean, I mean, if you were in South America, I guess it was. Did you get Did you get out to a soccer game there? That's one of the experiences I've always wanted to do is a soccer game in South I America. I did not, which is like I have a few things that I regret not doing, like going down to Patagonia as one and not working out a soccer game was another. But I don't think it was like the season. It was like a weird timeline, and also I spent six weeks in Buenos Aires and then six weeks in Santiago, so it was just like hard to kind of fit everything in. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine that. It's, it's yeah, it, especially in, well, down in Buenos Aires. I, I've never been to Argentina, but that's just, that, again, that's somewhere I'd love, I'd always wanted to go to, and I imagine that yeah, there's an awful lot to try and fit in at once. So now I, I completely get. I mean, they're obviously overprotective of like you know American students anywhere if you're like, studying abroad. But they would just say that the games were dangerous, which you know I'm I wasn't trying to get caught up in you know Latin American football game drama, so. <laughs> It was no, it was fine, no. but it was just a, that was another point of concern that the, I remember them bringing. Yeah, it can. I I've never been to a well, I've, I've been to a handful of soccer matches in my time, but never anything that's got you know uh, any sort of oh what's it called there ultras and, and any sort of you know hooliganism going on. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know how I'd get on in, in that sort of situation. It's uh, it's yeah. I'm surprised the UK I soccer think... scene's pretty like Chelsea Man Man U rivalry gets pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, it can get it can get a bit hairy sometimes. That's for sure. Um, I think that I think the, the police have got it sort of soft out now, and 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 they can sort of segregate the fans well enough. Which I think is, in some ways I I do, I, I do kind of find that a little bit of a shame. You know, it's, it's I, some I quite like that because. Sitting in a in a in a bar or something and watching a game with your friend who's supporting a different team and having a bit of a giggle about you know how badly they're doing or how badly you're doing I think it's always quite nice but obviously sometimes it gets taken to a, a little bit too far but no it's um no hooliganism is not not something I'm I'm keen on experiencing firsthand that's for sure. <laughs> so just going off of where we're on the sport topic, how popular is skiing actually in Switzerland? Because it's something like I was unfamiliar with from New York, but then I live in Boston now, and it's like I feel like everyone here skis and grew up skiing. So is it kind of like that in Switzerland, or is it like, uh, like can you explain that to me? Yeah, it's huge. It's it's big. Um, I mean, <sighs> there's been there's been quite an interesting debate across Europe, but certainly sort of focused on Switzerland over the last couple of weeks and months because obviously with everything that's gone on pandemic wise there is a danger of obviously the ski season just being completely cancelled and, and the Swiss were like yeah no we, we, we can't really be doing that because it's so it would be detrimental to their economy and and like in Austria as well which is obviously just just neighbours uh, Switzerland to the um, to the east uh, they sort of said yeah no that that it would destroy their business their economy as well so it's 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 vital for the for the economy for for tourism for for local businesses it's vital but yeah i mean you, you go up to any ski slope um as soon as there's an inkling of snow and there there'll, there'll be people up there skiing for sure we went up to where were we a few weeks ago uh what was the name of the place our place called engelberg that's right yeah um and we just went up to get about we've been <laughs> where we are there's a lot of clouds that sort of come in so you can live in perpetual fog for about a week and so we were like right we need to get up high so we can see some sunshine because this is just ridiculous so that's what we did we got up there um and it was heaving there was a lot of it hadn't there hadn't been a fresh snowfall for a week so the snow was not great but there was a lot of skiers up there so just yeah in, in, in enjoying it so yeah you, i think ski lessons start for kids here i think you can start them as young as three um yeah it's it yeah and like nothing nothing more damaging to your own self-confidence than watching a four-year-old power past you on a pair of skis while you're trying to flail down the mountain um it's it's quite that can really take the wind out of your sails 
but no, it's yeah. So they start them young, um, and yeah, it's a major, major part of the season. It may, it's a major part of um, of the culture here is, is skiing, and as is any sort of outdoor sport, it's they they pride themselves rightly on using the alpine terrain that they have around them to their to its full use all year round. So whether that is downhill skiing, whether that's sledding or hiking during summer which they which is hiking is everywhere it's, it's you can just it, it, the amount of trails open is, is just incredible it's but, but no, the skiing thing is, is big um everything everything stops winter olympics everyone gets involved in that obviously um yeah the the, the fifth world cup the the, the Obviously, the, the the main sort of the series that goes on during winter, I know they're they're huge about. I think they're in. I don't think they're in Switzerland this weekend. I think they're in Val d'Isère in France. Um, but yeah, that you'll you'll get. Well, you you used to get uh, thousands of people going up to the mountains to watch them coming down. Obviously, less so this year. Um, yeah, the, the, it, it's 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 massive. I think the the big the big ski race here is um, is Vengen. Vengen, Vengen. I'm going to get. If any of my friends listen to this, they're going to completely destroy me on my German accent. But never mind. Uh, Vengen is the is the is the big uh, fifth World Cup race that's here, um, and it usually opens up the the the, the main sort of professional skiing season. Um, but yeah, it's worst time to travel or, or try and drive is not on Monday morning or Friday evening or anything like that in the commute. It's usually Sunday morning or Sunday evening when people are trying to get up and down from the mountains. It's yeah, hugely popular. It's huge. Yeah, it makes sense that it's so embedded deeply in the culture. I'm not surprised at all. I'm kind of nah. surprised they were nah. like, talking about canceling like the ski season. I feel like that's you know one outdoor activity that could be fine. Like it's outdoors. You're kind of spaced out. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it, I, I think that when you're actually skiing, yeah, of course, it's 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 very spaced out. I think it's more the case of everyone trying to huddle into a gondola and and go up the mountain and and uh, in queues for the for the chairlift and stuff. It's that that's when it can get be a little, a little bit close and 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 yeah you've got people breathing all over each other which is obviously the exact opposite of what you want to be doing at the moment <laughs> unfortunately it's uh yeah it's i mean yeah i i'm i'm a, I'm a skier I, I i really enjoy skiing but last few years i haven't had a chance to really go um it's the one sport my kids aren't really cracking aren't really keen to, to get involved in just yet but I'm, I'm hoping to change that this winter we'll see there's a whole culture around it as well so there's there's, there's obviously the skiing then there's the uh, the, the infamous après ski uh, so you can obviously you, you ski around for for most of the day and then you get to sort of four or five o'clock and you stop for a beer and then a lot of if, if you're a, a little bit younger um and less susceptible to hangovers as, as i am um you, you tend to stop for more than one beer and maybe a, a bad glass of wine um, and then, yeah, sort of stay in, stay in a club until God knows what time with your ski boots still on. Um, I mean, that that was I, I've done that in, in years past. I think those 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 days are gone now for me. But it's uh, it's it's it really is a, the, the whole sort of culture around a ski resort is is it's very pleasant and and it is just it is one of those things you do sort of see in oh, on TV or in movies or anything. It is you do have the umpa music going and and everyone's sort of in in like wooden chalets and stuff and then it gets to 11 o'clock and you've got terrible terrible euro pop music going on um but of course no one really cares because at that point it's uh yeah it's uh nothing else matters <laughs> and that definitely makes sense and thanks for clearing up the queue situation i clearly have never gone skiing so i don't even i guess i know i knew ski lifts <laughs> existed but i guess i didn't really think about like how, how people got up there <laughs> if you had to wait yeah, in line. No. yeah no <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. No worries. No, it's. Uh, I. You should try. You should try. It's good fun. You know, if you've got friends in Boston as well who who know how to ski, you know, it seems like you've got to. You can get ski lessons on the cheap. You know, <laughs> you know it's, like, it's something I've definitely thought about. It's like I, I have to get the lessons. It, it's like a, it's like a big investment up front because you need to get the snow pants yeah. and all this other stuff. I think once I get all that, it, it'll be fine. I'm just scared of like. No, it's fine. Ski, skiing. Once you've got the skiing thing, it's easy. The, the worst thing is snowboarding. Like I, I. I learned to ski when we when we first moved here. I, I learned to ski then. I, I got it in the first season, and then a couple like when I was what like twenty twenty one. I, I decided, oh yeah, I'm going to try and learn to snowboard this season. Um, and I think we I went with, I was with my sister and we went up to a really small ski resort, not big, so we knew it wouldn't be for the tourists or too busy. Um, 
and we said okay we're going to spend the week here and we're going to try and learn how to snowboard um and so we'd spend the i think like three hours on lessons each day trying to learn to snowboard um and i think i genuinely spent the rest of the time sat in a bath nursing all my wounds and injuries because it was just so painful it was just the worst i think like my tailbone was just destroyed I was just, uh, it was obviously, yeah, and no, skiing's fine, snowboarding's appalling. Uh, you know, I've heard that was the more difficult one, so I'll, yeah. I'll definitely start with skiing. <laughs> so shifting into more current events, we are in a global pandemic, so I feel like it's neat to ask, and I'm also kind of curious, but how was it handled in Switzerland? Were there sanctions in place? Are you currently still undergoing sanctions? How did people react? Mm, yeah, um, strangely, the Swiss, I don't, I think I think it's pretty agreed that Swiss could have handled it a little bit better. I, I, I think there's, yeah, it's it's a bit of an odd one. Um, they didn't really bring in masks too quickly. Um, the the way the, 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 the a lot of the decisions work here is you can either have a decision made by the federal council, which is like the main governing body, or they can defer it to different cantons, so different. Uh, counties, if you're in the UK, or or, or maybe yeah, maybe counties as well in the states, or or maybe even states, so they can, they can sort of defer it to them. So a lot of the time, you'd have different areas of the country had different rules. So you'd go where we are in Zug now. You'd say, okay, fine, you don't need to wear face masks indoors at all. But then you'd go across to the next canton, which was uh, Luzern. Uh, so just and that's literally thirty minute drive down the road. Um, and they'd be like, no, you need to wear masks in, in shops. And it'd be like, okay. It's, it's, so that it wasn't, it wasn't consistent, which didn't help. Um, I think now it's, it's a little bit more under control because everyone's like, okay, everyone's wearing masks indoors. Everyone's wearing masks on public transport. That's just what it is. Um, so there's that. Um, in terms of work and such, I mean, I've, I've been on home office and, and, and remote working for, since March and that hasn't changed I've been into work a couple of times just to sort of uh, sit with a couple of our guys whilst they were doing some interviews with the press but I mean other than that I haven't you know I haven't seen my colleagues in person for months which is which is tough I think it's you know I, I like remote working I think you know I'm seeing more of my family than ever which is great for me I don't know what it feels like they might disagree they might want me to go back to work as soon as possible um, yeah, there could have been a little bit more sort of consistency with with what everyone needs to do from the top, but then they're you know they're bound by rules and and process, and this is the process, and this is what we're sticking to, and that's that. And it was like, okay, well, okay, you know, you know, you, and that's how we're doing with it. Um, I think it's more under control now, which is good. Um, but yeah, I, I think in terms, I think there was a there was a there was a point at which our death rate was one of the highest in Europe. I think I think internationally, Switzerland were getting away with it because the actual numbers of, of people with it or dying weren't that high. But if you look at it per ten, you know, per capita of ten thousand, or you know, percentage-wise, it was pretty high. Um, you know, it was, it was it was it was pretty mad. But yeah, they seem to have it under control now um, a little bit more. And yeah, you know, everyone's being very cautious. You go to the shops and you see people, you know, making sure they're wearing their masks and. You know, I think I saw someone the other day got told off because they didn't have their mask covering their nose, you know, rightly so. Um, but yeah, it's it's been, yeah, I think, well, I was going to say it's been tough, but I think it's been a tough year for everyone. Everyone's sort of just looking at 2020. Everyone's sort of saying, oh, 2020 has been a terrible year and stuff, and it has. It's not been great, but I mean, the way I, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was discussing it with my wife, I said, uh, yeah, okay, it's, it sucked, but there have been other aspects that have been really good. For example, I've been able to have lunch every day with my family, which I haven't had, I've never been able to do, which is awesome. You know, it's, you know, I, I can walk my kid to school and back and go and pick them up and go and play around with my lunch hour and stuff. It's, that's really good fun. And, you know, I, you know, I can sit down and have a cup of tea with my wife and that's lovely. So that's, you know, whilst there, yeah, it's not been the best of, you know, we've got to take the positives, I guess. I've, I mean, see, I'm super curious as well from, from a, U.S. perspective, especially with the channels I watch, you know, I, I tend to watch CNN a lot, uh, so there's obviously an, a, a focus on America there, um, and a lot of the story you're getting out of the U.S. is uh, it's, it, 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 certainly with the 
previous administration or the outgoing administration, it, it was like a complete disaster. I mean, how, how was it on the ground there? I'm super curious. So it was quite quite an experience. I think initially, like the biggest, like, I was very frustrated by like the mask drama because it was just literally media manipulation of like, Contra- contradicting articles and reports of like not needing a mask, needing a mask, just to like, cover up the shortage. I think that's what happened. But so just in, it started off just badly, and then similarly to Switzerland, it's very regional, so it's very by state and what each state is allowing. So like right now, I live in Massachusetts, and it's like there's like shut like I'll shut down at nine thirty, a curfew, so things are closed. You can't really you know do anything, but then you can you know go to a club in Atlanta or Miami if you want to. So. It's, oh man, that's the thing. That's that. It's see, same. Okay, so you could same here. You had certain cantons where you had, uh, you know, restaurants and bars and cafes and everything was closed, and other bars and cafes in in, in other towns and, and and cities were open. And it was like, well, what's the point? And and a lot of the time, you did find. No, okay, this I think I'm getting this more anecdotally uh, from from my uh, I think it's from my sister who's living in Lausanne. Um, she was telling me that you get people who were based in Geneva and were obviously on some stricter lockdown there so they couldn't go to restaurants or anything. And they were traveling the 40-minute train journey to Lausanne and going clubbing and, and partying there. And it's like, well, that's, comp- you know, you're doubly, you know, you've got more people coming and it's, it's making no sense. So, yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's... I think that 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 it's the that's I think that's been one of the biggest issues is this is the lack of consistency in in what you can and can't do and and I think you're right that when you said about the you know the media sort of miscommunicating a lot and sort of saying certain things I mean that doesn't really help at all it's yeah it's but I guess that's the crazy crazy world we live in at the moment. <laughs> so we're coming up on the end of the interview and we're moving on to the flagship question. I know I know you've been expecting it and thinking about it. <laughs> But, it, but is your migration journey over? Will you return to the UK? I guess continue to live your life in Switzerland. Maybe take on life in a third country. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. Because I, I, I have been thinking about this one because, as I said, I, I, I've listened to previous podcasts before, um, and I, I, part of me was like, well, can I come out to like, maybe, maybe not? But that's, I think that's a bit of a cop out. Um, so I think my answer is a straight no. It's my, my, my I don't think. Anyone's migration journey can truly be over. Um, looking in a bit more bigger picture, as a as a race, humans were meant are quite humans fit migration quite well. You know, we, we've always moved about. We've always wanted to discover new things. So I, and I, I think that that certainly falls into that's certainly the category I fall into. I, you know, I, I love traveling. I love seeing new parts of the world. I love experiencing new things. I don't think it's over at all. Um, are we moving anytime soon? Probably not. No, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> we're pretty rooted here for now. But do I see ourselves moving at some point in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Is it back to the UK? I don't know. We'll see. Um, maybe in a maybe in a few years' time. Maybe not. I mean, maybe if 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 the outlook improves a little bit with you know <laughs> the whole political situation with the EU and Brexit, maybe. Um, Oh, no, I don't. I don't think our migration journey is over at all. I'd love to go and live somewhere else. I'd love to go and experience another culture. Me, and to be honest, probably outside of Europe, I think would be a, a lot more exciting as well. You know, it's 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 all very good and well talking about the the different people I've met from the far flung corners of this of this world. Um, but I'd love to go and see some of it for myself and live some and experience some of it on a more long term basis. Um, so no, no, I um, I'm my, my my feet get too itchy. I feel uh, for my migration story to be over. I, I think I feel the same way about like sort of just staying in one place. But it looks like only time can tell. Yeah, exactly. Only time can tell. Uh, I'd, I'd I'd have no idea where I'd go to next. But I'm 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 sure it would be um, it, whatever we do, it will be done with the utmost fun. But that's the only thing in life that matters. And, and this has been quite fun. So thank you so much, Nick, for speaking with me and answering my question, my series of questions. But do you have anything that you want to promote or plug or any last questions for me? Um, well, yeah, well, firstly, thank you ever so much for having me. It's been it's been genuinely really enjoyable. And I, I spent, you know, the, 
I spent some time thinking about this and it's it's been quite nice having a little bit of a soul search as well and sort of as, as a marker as to where I stand. So I thank you ever so much for the opportunity. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it as well. Um, as for plugging stuff, I, 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 I feel free to, if you, if you want to see what, it, you know, my, my, my boring family life is like, you're more than welcome to follow me on my, on Instagram. I'm a, I'm a, I, this is embarrassing. I have the worst Instagram. No, I'm on, Winstagram, W-I-N-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-M-9, Winstagram. I love that, by the way. I love a pun, so I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I just, I, I don't know. It just, it was a, it was a uh, flash of creativity. So I did that. Um, I mean, I also have a podcast with my sister who lives here, which is called Arguments with My Brother. Um, and it's not, not nearly as professional as this one, Aiden. It's, it's more about just me finding things to argue about with my sister each week for fifteen minutes, which is, which is good fun. I think the last one we did was like albums from two thousand and five or something daft like that. Um. So yeah, so that that's quite good fun. But we we I mean we touch on elements of living abroad in that as well. Um, like you know, 2005 was when I moved back to the UK after living in Twitzen for a while. So it was you know, it, we we touched on that very briefly. So there's that as well. But no, other than that, it's 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 been a a pleasure to talk to you, Aidan. And um and yeah, keep up keep up the stellar work with the enjoy podcast. It. I really Thank enjoy so it. Much. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you sort of using this opportunity to like soul search and like reflect. I'm glad I could provide that medium for you. It was pretty cool getting to hear Nick's perspective, and honestly, I feel like I just took a trip to Switzerland. Who knows, maybe I'll join him on the ski slopes one day in Switzerland, or maybe I'll be bougie enough to start going skiing in St. Moritz with, like, celebrities or something, but the sky's the limit. But next week, I'm very, very excited, because we're taking a little trip to Iran, and you should use you guys to get as excited as I am, because I think it's going to be one of our best stories yet, and one of our most moving episodes. As always, remember to please follow us on Instagram or Twitter at PushPullFactor. Like our page on Facebook. Check out our website, PushPullFactor.com. And remember to subscribe where you get your favorite podcasts. And definitely, you know, give us a plus five rating. Give us some engagement on the website. You know, engage with us on Instagram. And I'm asking, especially because it's my birthday, the day after this airs, December 10th. Well, it airs on the 9th, but that's my birthday wish. You know, more viewership and more people on the PushPullFactor fam. So, you know, tell a friend, tell a friend to tell a friend, tell a friend to tell a coworker, tell a coworker, tell a cousin to tell their mailman. But, you know, get the word out there. Have a good one, everyone.